HRN listeners. As we celebrate our 15th year, we are deepening our commitment to giving voice to the next generation of food system storytellers, and we need your help. Our internship and fellowship programs help activate new possibilities for underrepresented and underestimated young people through experiential journalism, audio engineering, and production training. Through these unique programs, HRN helps food equity stewards build essential workforce readiness skills that expand their potential and foster economic mobility. Please consider supporting these critical programs. And with a minimum donation, you can be entered to win a dinner for two at an amazing restaurant in one of eight cities and tickets to a concert at a great venue in one of those cities. We have incredible partners across the country who have donated as they also share our passion for helping to educate the next generation of food system storytellers. Check out heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. That's heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. And make sure you donate before March 31st. Thank you. Hey, road trippers, you have indeed reached Agave Road Trip, the podcast that helps gringo bartenders better understand agave, agave spirits in rural Mexico. But before we can take off on this week's road trip, we need to fill up the tank, which is code for pay the bills, which is code for run the commercials for the folks who are enabling us to go on these agave road trips. So sit back and Chava and I will circle back to you in a second. Hey, Chava, do you recall the first agave road trip you ever sent me on? You mean chasing down Olegario in Santa Maria Sola de Vega? That's it. And as excited as I was to be heading toward a new-to-me mescalero, there was this roadside stand selling agave spirits that looked totally rustic that was calling out to me. Ugh, but roadside stands never have the good stuff, Lou. Almost never, Chava, sure. But it just looked so rustic I had to stop. And the spirits, to your point, were only okay, but the old glass garafones that they used to store those heritage agave spirits and the black clay pots for water and pulque. They had so many beautiful old things. So you're saying it is possible to be old and beautiful, Lou? Wow. So why did you give it up? We're uh, we're not going there, Chava. Mm-hmm. Anyway, I stopped and grabbed a huge assortment of these bottles and pots, and they are still some of my favorite things to pour from when people come over to have drinks at my place. You mean you don't pour mezcal out of your bottles, like the ones you got your spirits in? Of course, usually I do, almost always, but then there are special occasions where you want to draw your guests visually into the full experience of agave in rural Mexico. And absolutely, and that's when you need mezcalforlife.com. Yeah, that's right, Chava. I was browsing mezcalforlife.com and saw their beautiful black clay mezcal bottle, and my head went right back to that roadside stand on the route to Sola de Vega. Yeah, I mean, they're just so awesome, and each one is unique, handmade, and fired by artisans in Oaxaca. And they have hand-blown glass ones, too. Oh, don't don't tempt me like this. You know I'm broke. Mezcalforlife.com can help you find... (laughs) All these beautiful storage vessels for your beautiful agave spirits. Head to mezcalforlife.com now and you can be set for the next week's episode of Agave Road Trip, sponsored by mezcalforlife.com. This episode of Agave Road Trip is brought to you in part by Just Egg. Chef Jose Andres calls Just Egg mind-blowing and Bon Appetit says, It's so good I feel guilty eating it. What I say is, thank you Just Egg for giving me back the egg on burger experience. Several months into this pandemic, I had heart palpitations that led me to a cardiologist. My cardiologist, Steve, because the best cardiologist let you call them Steve, said I had to go on a vegan diet to get my cholesterol under control. Pairing Just Egg with a plant-based burger, it's like nothing is 
has changed, except my blood pressure. So when I say Agave Road Trip is brought to you in part by Just Egg, what I mean is literally I am the part of Agave Road Trip that is brought to you by Just Egg. Thank you, Just Egg, for saving my heart. I am Lou Bank. And I am Chava Perivan. And this is Agave Road Trip, the podcast that is a masterclass in agave, agave spirits, and rural Mexico. Welcome to the masterclass, Chava. Why, Lou? Why do you have to do this to us? Masterclass? Really? Masterclass? Because no. everybody learns more in a masterclass, Chava. Uh, that's the worst part between cheesy and pretentious. Yes, exactly. This was my... As cheesy and pretentious voice, this is as cheesy and pretentious as I could get. I want to talk today about uh, the idea of of master classes in agave spirits in mezcal and whatever you want to call it. Okay, but before we even go in there, you're okay with training, right? You're okay with educational programs that have as their main focus learning about agave spirits. Sure. I guess I, in essence, that's what we're doing right here, right now. So why would you have a problem with the masterclass if it's just another educational effort? Well, so my problem is not with the uh, education. It's not with classes. It's with this, um, uh, this, this word master being before class. It's the, the idea that somebody is going to come in and learn everything or that the person who's teaching the class knows everything about this category. And I just, I think that's silly. Well, do you think someone out there in this big wide world knows everything about agave spirits? No, absolutely not. I would say that the people I know who are the closest to what I would consider masters of this um, are also the people who are constantly telling me that they have so much to learn. Yeah, but that's just like, you know, that's just like a phrase. That's just like people throw in there to make other people not feel very bad about their ignorance and just to look a little bit humble. You know, like I've heard that all the time. Yeah, yeah, I, and, 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 and I, I, I get that. I, uh, I get that. I, I believe that in most cases. But here, I truly believe that these people really mean it because you know, it's this is if we were talking about a master class in using a diffuser, let's say, um, to mm -hmm. make mezcal or tequila or any any kind of agave based spirit, I think you can have a master class in that, right? Because there's a manual, right? There's a technical manual that teaches you how to use a diffuser in the proper way to have a good product. That's right. Yes. And that's the whole point to industrialization. It makes everything simple and things that are simple, you can master very easily. Well, I wouldn't go all the way to say simple, but they're very well framed. They can be crazily okay. complex, right? Uh, which most of them are very complex, but they can be framed in a way that if you spend enough money and time, you can tame it in a way that you can reproduce the results in a very... Uh, like efficient and expectable way. Yes, yes, I would say exactly that. Whereas, you know, the, the the communities that you and I like to spend our time in, the ones that we like to seek out and the ones that we know people in very well, uh, you know, we go here and things are done not even so differently from community to community, though that's true, but even within a single community from one palenque to the next, 
you can find incredible diversity in processes. Okay, wait, wait, wait. But, you know, there, there's this thing, and everybody does that. In the mezcal context, they say, maestro mezcalero. Mm -hmm. That's master mezcalero. Oh, that's interesting. I, I've actually, I've always interpreted that as sort of a combination of teacher and master. Mm. So, like, you don't think that people use the maestro to refer to this guy in a way like you're the all-encompassing sensei. You know every little part. It's just someone that is more advanced in their, oh. in their knowledge and understanding of a specific way of producing, maybe? You know, I think that's exactly right. You just blew my mind, Shava. So I, 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 <laughs> I would say that. Like, I think when I think about most of the people I think of when I think of people who could be masters are the people, by and large, who make these spirits. And I would say that they absolutely are masters of their processes, the processes in their community, the processes that have existed for generations within their family. Um, but if you take that same maestro mescalero, take, take him or her out of that home community and go just, you know, even two hours away, hmm. I think that person sees things that they don't fully understand. Like clay distillation. Take a guy that has always done copper distillation and introduce him to a copper, like a clay steel. And A, they're going to be like, I want to work with this, right? Most mm -hmm. of the times they refuse to even work with these new, these new technologies. And it's in big part because for them, it's, they're very alien. Like they don't even know how and why people will use something like that. Right. And vice versa. I think you give somebody yes. who's used to clay, give them the copper, uh, that's going to throw them. You throw in the stainless steel still as well. Like, I think all of this stuff changes, changes so many of these tiny little things that these men and women have to figure out by using their hands and their, their, their sense of smell and listening. Like, I just, I, I think that, uh, I think that there's a whole different definition in each of these palenques as to what it means to master this process. So, so as a result, I don't think you can have a class where you sit down, you know, whether I've had, I've had friends take this thing. That's like, they spend thousands of dollars, $5,000 and they spend weeks in Mexico uh, to get to be like a fourth level mescalier. I think it's called. Oh, that's such an unfortunate term by the way. But anyway, keep on. <laughs> and, and, you know, and I've, I've, I know a few people who have done it and everyone who's done it has spoken very highly of the process. Um, and, and even said it was very rigorous and that the, like, I got a guy, he got this great anecdote from one of them who said that, uh, he like, like I was, was sort of a juvenile delinquent. And so learned very early on that you had to suck up to your teacher in order to get by, right? Like you be a friend with your teacher and the teacher will help you through the work you did not do. And so he spent the entire week sucking up to this, uh, this, this teacher of the class, the master, and <laughs> then uh, he had to take this test. And in the end, he thought, oh, but the, you know, this, this teacher will help me with the test. But they switched out. The, the person who was overseeing the test uh, was not the teacher. And the person like, I, I don't know you. I'm not helping you with anything. And that was, he said that was very intentional on the part of the people who put together the school. So, you know, I, I'm not even saying that they, they go into this, I guess it's, I'm not saying that they, that everybody who teaches a master class goes into it uh, with bad intentions. What I am saying is I think the name is very misleading and I think it's contrary to the very idea 
of these spirits. Because if you can master it, right? If you you, you can master things that are industrial, as, as I think I said earlier, but mastering something that's done by hand so differently from one place to the next, I don't think it's possible. I think the like the master class in Mezcal is you can't master it. Yeah, and I think that it's because it's, and that's why we love so much these spirits, because I think they have a set of values that are different to many other products. Not only spirits, but I'll say I'll 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 say that they're very different in their value set and mindset of the producers to many other things. There's more col- collaboration with nature than mastering it. I think that a really good agave spirits producer has this capacity to understand his or her surroundings hmm. and understand the kind of gist that may be happening with the weather of that year or the kind of mutations that that agave had due to the conditions it had to grow in or the worms that attacked it or the place that it had to survive. And therefore, more than putting these things in closed containers and mapping every little part of it for it to chase the way that they want, they just have to collaborate with nature. Oh, that is a really interesting way to look at this. You know, I like so often I when I think of um how these spirits come out at the end tasting the way they do, I think it's it's entirely um the hand of the maker. It's all the little decisions, the 400 decisions that we talk about um that he or she has made. Um <laughs> but you know, I I think you've you've this is a really interesting point that in essence nature becomes the co-author Oh man, that becomes the co-author with that mescalero uh, or mescalera, and uh, and that actually is a collaboration, and that makes boy, that's even more skill on the part of that mescalero. Yeah, because you have to be understanding all these things around you that most of them are impossible to measure, at least with the with with the metrics they have and the equipment they have access to. They have had to be able to just through experience understand when is it going to rain, how that rain is going to affect things. What to do when it doesn't rain. Exactly. So like, as as somebody said, like, if everything goes right, it's really easy to do agave spirits. The situation is that... (laughs) You know what? Like, you called me out when I said it was really easy to do a a diffuser. I'm calling you out. It's Even when everything is right, it's not easy to do these spirits. Yeah, I know. It's terrifying. It's always terrifying. You never go ahead trying to do agave spirits that are not terrified that everything's going to just not going to happen. <laughs> you really think there's terror? I don't think there's terror. I don't think there's anything that scares most of these people. You, you and I might be terrified. I think they're fine. Yes. I'm speaking for myself. Yeah, absolutely. I'm, I'm speaking from, my, from the feelings I had when I was producing agave spirits. I was always oh. like... Oh, this is interesting. You were going back to your time at, was it Sombra? Yes, at Sombra. And I remember just like, we'll like do the tapada and I'll just like, you know, I, I couldn't, I couldn't sleep. You do the what? The tapada, uh, the cooking of the agave. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> and, and you couldn't sleep. I couldn't because, you know, we had thrown 10 tons of, like, of beautiful agaves, like forget about how much they cost. They were just beautiful things that you don't want to ruin. And uh, yeah, it's hard to, to sleep for a couple nights. <laughs> <laughs> well, there you go. There's there's your master class. Just go and, uh, and start running a running a palenque in Mexico. Yeah. And I think that that's the, the thing why it's impossible to do a master class. It's all about long, long experience path. It takes forever. And I think that there's no way to cut that. There's no life hack to it. 
And I think that should be the conclusion of this episode, Lou, because we're running out of time. <laughs> and I think you've run out of things to say. Okay, Chava, <laughs> I'm good with that. I'm going to call this masterclass on agave spirits a wrap, Chava. La clase maestra ha terminado. Hang on, road trippers. We're not done yet. We've got an episode of Chava and Lou's Chatfest coming up. This episode of Agave Road Trip was brought to you in part by Just Egg, as was my breakfast. Made from plants, Just Egg is a better egg for you and for the planet. It's healthier, with no cholesterol and less saturated fat, and it's more sustainable. Just Egg uses less water and generates fewer carbon emissions. Most importantly, it's delicious, especially when you pair it with a little bit of salsa matcha. This is Chava and Loose Chat Fest. Gonna chat you up for three solid minutes. We're gonna chat with you about something that has nothing to do with agave, agave spirits, or rural Mexico. Chava, what you got? Oh, I know what you got for me today because we were just talking a second ago about bicycling and my bicycle accidents. And I believe, Chava, you're gonna tell me what I need to do to never get in another bicycle accident. And I, I got great credentials, by the way. Uh, I, As I told you, I used to study in Santa Fe, Chancla Fe, as we call it, when, we, when one so goes So Santa Fe, New Mexico? No, Santa Fe, Mexico oh. City. Uh, it's so it's like where the Microsoft headquarters of Mexico are. It's 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 the ugliest part of Mexico City. Like if, if you if you yes, like if you want to define ugliness, just go there, spend half an hour, and you'll get all the information you need. Anyways, but okay. Well, well, I guess now we can count Microsoft out as a sponsor. Nicely done, Chava. Go I, ahead. I know all those millions that we're gonna give to us. Anyway, <laughs> Lord. I, uh, We'll talk about my sales strategies later. But uh, okay. now uh, I used to, it was 10K from my house to, to my school, but it's up a mountain. So actually no nobody ever thought I... Is it is it is it up a mountain both ways or just one direction? Just one direction. Yeah, it's, okay, I, sure. I, I don't believe like, yeah, it's, I didn't have to cross a valley, Lou. I just had to go <laughs> up and then going down was awesome. I made like 10 minutes going down. But uh, <laughs> but I used to cross something that it's known as El Pueblo de Santa Fe. So Santa Fe is like super mm -hmm. urbanized, uh, huge, massive buildings, like probably the, the tallest buildings in Mexico City. But to get there, you have to go through El Pueblo. And the Pueblo is a legendary place because uh, I think the, actually I did my thesis, my university thesis in that area. It's a rather new area of the city, and people from all Mexico came, like Oaxaca, Michoacán, Yucatán, everywhere, and they came together there and built a town where nobody wanted to construct, like in the in hmm. the sides of mountain, in the sides of the mountain. It's like very improvised. It's beautiful. Like an artistic community? No, no, like a community, community, like like uh, <laughs> like. like <laughs> oh, okay, just just people, <laughs> just people, just people that came together because they were tired of where they were living. Yes, with their families and stuff. It's tremendously dangerous, unfortunately, but it's it's. Uh, I found it beautiful. Like it, it's uh, you eat like there's a pulqueria there that I really need to check you there. Uh, there's mm. el infierno. There's El Gran Infierno, the big the big hell in front of La yep. Gloria, the glory. So you can start in one and end up in the other. Like it's uh it's a whole joke they got. <laughs> and these are these are these are both pulquerias. Pulquerias, yeah. But they, these are okay. awesome. like I mean, every time you go there, you cannot just drink one glass. You'll end up making friends. Uh you'll end up in very bad shape every time, not because you want it, because you were forced to. 
So it was great. It was great riding my bicycle through that town every day. But it was dangerous. Like there was a lot of microbuses, public transportation. The there was a lot of holes. I thought I was risking my life every day, slightly. But nothing ever happened to me. I was super lucky. I never even slipped once. And I think the biggest strategy, at least in Mexico City, that I used to do when going downhill, going uphill, there's nothing you really have to do because you're just slow. You're just trusting the cars. But when you're going downhill, what I used to do, it's uh, just get a microbus that's ending their shift. A microbus? Yeah, like the the little buses, the, the microbuses. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. Like eight, eight, ten passengers. Yeah. Well, no, not eight, ten passengers. Uh, we call micros like twenty-five. Well, like dep- oh, okay. Dep- depends okay. how cramped okay. you are. You've seen those, no? Like okay. they get it like really heavy. But yep. there's some of yep. them that are ending their shift and they don't make any stops. They just go down swiftly. So something that I used to do is just go behind one of those because they're too big. They are slowish, sort of, and just can be riding behind them and uh, nobody's gonna mess with you. Oh, so and and you didn't have any fear of parked cars because you were literally behind the bus. Well, yes, and that's the other thing. I uh, like bicycle lanes in Mexico City are rather new. They're uh, actually during the pandemic mm. they started building a lot more. But before we're yeah. just on the like yeah on the avenues and on the on the streets. And what I used to do though is like I was always on a lane, and mm-hmm. some people have told me that this is rather stupid, and I understand why because. If you're going, no, like, I mean, if you're going fast and you hit a hole or something happens and you happen to fall down, there's a big chance that whoever is behind you won't be able to stop and will kill you. And right. uh, I stopped doing that recently. I still bike every day. Uh, <laughs> but uh, actually, like, I, I guess my conclusion now is I'm a little bit confused of what's be- best practices. I, I, in, I, you I, know, I, I really do think that it doesn't matter what you do. I mean, I'm not saying that you could do anything and it's fine, but, but I am saying that the, the biggest danger I think tends to be that people are in these, these, I don't know how heavy a car is like 2000 pound, uh, machines that can do serious damage. And they're generally, and I'm, you know, I'm as guilty of this as anyone. I drive a lot and they're generally not cognizant of that danger. And it's easy to daydream or, or not even daydream. Just think about all of the problems you got going on, particularly during a pandemic. And, and so you're not thinking about, Oh, I'm going slowly and there might be a bicycle going faster than me. That's going to pass on my right. Like there are just things you don't think about. And, it, yeah, I don't. Well, I, yeah. the other thing, I always make sure to make a lot of noise. <laughs> so, uh, yeah, no, like, I think that's super important. You know, like, I think people with like nice bicycles, they try not to have anything that makes noise because it looks, they, it looks uncool. But uh, it's so useful to have like a ding, 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 yeah. like bell. And then I have these different shouts. I, I do. I'm gonna do it like low because otherwise our sound engineer is gonna kill me. But I have this one that works me like has always worked me very well. I go. <laughs> <laughs> well, yes, and that that works great. I suppose if you're in a place where people don't have their windows rolled up and are listening to the radio, yes, I think that would work. Or listening to Agave Road Trip while they're driving, <laughs> well, like, that's possible too. Lou, it, it can go really high. Like I can do that 
with exquisite loudness. And they, like, even if you're listening to to music real loud, you'll, you'll be able to listen you to know, it. You know, yeah, but that sound, if I'm driving and I hear that sound, I might think it's somebody who's trying to pass me on the left as <laughs> the law says you should. And then I'd pull over to the right and I'd hit you. I'd just hit you. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And you know the other thing that I started doing? I started wearing clips on my oh, shoes. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh, my God. Uh, clips have saved my life a couple of times. Uh, saved your life? Actually, like, that's it. I mean, I love them because I can go, a lot, like, it. I feel so much more con- connected to my bicycle. <laughs> I hate how that sounds. Jesus, am I becoming? I uh, no, How am I becoming? Anyways, uh, I like them. They're, they're, they make you go faster and, like, you feel that they make sense. But... I feel a little bit like if if shit hits the fan, I, like I I won't be able to throw my bicycle away. Like I, I'm going with the bicycle. <laughs> like you're going to be able to without your shoes. You know, I I'll tell you the reason that I I feel like I've it saved my life at least twice, um, is because I'm able to do a, a much faster uh, pickup. Like I can go from zero to sixty much faster with clips on than I can without. And there have been a couple of times where cars were coming at me because they didn't see me. Oh. Right, I stopped at the stop sign. It was in. It was raining, and then I went when it was my turn. And they apparently didn't see that there was a bicycle, and they came at me. And I really think the only reason I cleared the intersection both times was because of those clips. Wow. Okay. Then I'm gonna start thinking of them as a safety measure. Uh, but mm-hmm. yeah, like the thing here too in Mexico City is like there's so much stuff that happens in front of you. It's uh, there's people, there's dogs, there are holes, there's kids, there's no cows, uh, but there's definitely everything in between. <laughs> and it was so much nicer when I used to live in Oaxaca. Like I will do probably like 20k, 30k, tra- like travels from Etla to Atzompa or like just like on the back roads. And I think there it was super easy. Like the, I, you never felt endangered, except mm-hmm. when you found. You know how they do this? Instead of putting fences, they'll buy like eight dogs to protect the house. <laughs> uh, <laughs> sure. Okay. I yeah, get like, it. Like, that, that's a very, like, I wouldn't even say Oaxaca. That's like a very rural Mexico strategy. Like, fences sure. are expensive. So you rather just buy eight dogs, which are your friends. They're awesome. You're going to have fun with them. And they're going to protect yep. your house way better than a fence, to be honest. The problem is when you're bicycling around that house, they don't know if you're a threat. <laughs> <laughs> or, or if you're a happy cyclist, yeah, they will usually read you as a threat. So that that gets scary. My uh, my brother Brian and I, every year or two, we would take these long bicycle rides where we would go for a week and do like five to seven hundred miles, crossing you know North Dakota or going from uh, Memphis to New Orleans. And the the first time we did it, we were we just did this giant loop in Idaho, and and we were worried about the wildlife. So I got what I thought was pepper spray, but it was a pepper. <laughs> fog so that literally like what, what you were doing was setting off like this pepper bomb that you, like would knock you out and it would knock the dogs out and anybody who happened to be walking by would go down but at least then nobody was hurting anybody um yeah well yeah that's yeah. what i and, and and in fact a couple times dogs did come at us and i was tempted to pepper bomb i just i didn't want to hurt my eyes so i didn't and we got away yeah, I, I got this guy that used to, in Oaxaca that used to have a water pistol, and he will do he will boil habanero. Oh Jesus! <laughs> and and that was his uh, his prote- which I think is tremendously cruel. Uh, mm-hmm. But like in paper, but when you got seven angry dogs going at you, 
Not uh, 10 angry pit bulls, but seven angry dogs. <laughs> yes. Okay. From, from very diverse origins, that yep. it's hard to know uh, whose parents, like their, their ethnicity or whatever like, you want to yeah. <laughs> You've got seven dogs coming at you and they're barking. You're not, you're not, okay, well, hang on. There's a German shepherd and a collie. I'm just going to focus on, you're not doing that. No, you're, you're just like screaming as loud as you can. And what I used to do is I just throw them my bicycle. <laughs> like, like, you why know, would you throw your, why wouldn't you stay like you're faster on your bicycle? That's silly. No, these guys, you're, you're at their road. You're not that fast. They can, they can catch you when you're at their road. Those kids can catch you for sure. So I will just like, and you think what they want is the bicycle? Well, they will just get super scared because the, the bicycle will do like a boom. A lot of dirt will come out and they will just run away. Oh, you're freaking crazy. You never abandon your vehicle. That's your, that <laughs> is the thing that's going to keep you safe. You are crazy. Well, it worked. I'm here. I have, I have beaten by dogs only like three times in my life. So I'm never on a bicycle. Well, okay. <laughs> How many times have I been bitten by dogs? Oh, zero. Zero. <laughs> okay. Stay on your bike. We'll talk okay, about dogs later. Yeah, this is this okay. is exhausting. Let's get out of here. <laughs> Adios. Hasta pronto. Bye. This has been Agave Road Trip, the podcast that helps gringo bartenders learn about agave spirits. Your hosts are Lubank and Chava Periban. Sound engineering by Roy Sierra. Theme song performed by Gabriel Oliveira and Mark Rico. Sign up to become a road tripper and listen to more episodes at agaveroadtrip.com. If you enjoyed this podcast, please let us know. And if you hated it, recommend it to your enemies. You can also find us on Facebook and Instagram. Lou is in charge of our social media. So if he happens to sound like an old man, forgive him. He is one. Agave Road Trip is a production of 10 Angry Pitbulls, Inc. Agave Road Trip is powered by Simplecast. Thank you for listening to Heritage Radio Network. Heritage Radio Network is food radio supported by you. For our freshest content, subscribe to our newsletter. To subscribe to the Heritage Radio Network newsletter, enter your email at the bottom of our website, heritageradionetwork.org. Connect with Heritage Radio Network on Instagram and Twitter at heritage underscore radio. You can also find Heritage Radio Network at facebook.com slash heritageradionetwork. Heritage Radio Network is a nonprofit organization driving conversations to make the world a better, fairer, more delicious place. Heritage Radio Network couldn't do that without support from listeners like you. Become a part of the food world's most innovative community today. Subscribe to the shows you like. Tell your friends. And please join the Heritage Radio Network family by becoming a member. To become a member of the Heritage Radio Network, click on the beating heart at the top right of our homepage. Heritage Radio Network can become addictive. Programming you here on Heritage Radio Network can drive you to eat, drink, and listen to more programming on Heritage Radio Network. If it drives you to drink, please do not drink and drive. Drink responsibly. Eat responsibly too. And listen to Heritage Radio Network responsibly. To listen to Heritage Radio Network responsibly, wear protective earbuds. While wearing protective earbuds, do not drive or walk. Sit in a comfortable chair. If that comfortable chair has a hard seat, please remember to get up and stretch every 30 minutes. If you get up and stretch every 30 minutes, do not stretch beyond your abilities. Stay within your defined stretching capacity and consult a doctor who specializes in stretching. If you do not have a doctor, listen to all the shows on the Heritage Radio Network. There has to be at least one doctor among the Heritage Radio Network podcast hosts. Thanks for listening. Agave Road Trip out. This week on Meet and 3, it's the final episode of our series on global trade. We're thinking futuristically, from China's ambitious plans for a new Silk Road to the future of borders and automation. If you're a banana, you know, it's easy to cross the border. But if you're a person who's trying to follow the jobs, uh, it's a lot more difficult, if not impossible, to do so in an authorized and safe fashion. They love food trucks and they love growing your own food because these things are not dependent on essentially government systems. So there's a whole politics to pretzels on the dark web. 
Tune in to Meet and 3, HRN's weekly food news roundup, wherever you get your podcasts.